start, uh, we're going to continue our series in Psalm 119 this morning. Um, we're in a five-part series for those have just joining us this morning. Uh, in Psalm 119, we began with the blessings of God's Word. And last week, we looked at the direction of God's Word. And God's Word is just full, isn't it? It provides blessing, it provides direction. And this morning, we're going to look at how God's Word, we're going to look at the goodness of God's Word. And I recall a story as I was putting together this this sermon. When I was about six years old, my parents let me play outside. You know, I grew up in a different day and age where you could do a lot outside, you know. You could go to the field, not worry about it, go to playing, you know, play, play uh, wiffle ball in the, in the court. And uh, it was a different day and age. And so they let me have a lot of freedom outside with the neighborhood kids. But there was one thing that my dad told me not to do. He told me not to go to the store several blocks away. But there was a pet store out there that I saw this lizard that I just couldn't, could not be without. <laughs> I had to have that lizard. So I snuck off to buy that lizard with a couple of my buddies. Right? Hey, let's go. Let's just ride our bikes out there. <laughs> and as I was riding my bike home with my new pet lizard, guess who met me on the road? My dad, I was terrified, you know. So, oh, no. He caught me. He caught me red-handed. I, I have my lizard in the hand, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, he, he knew. He said, son, you did not listen to me. You disobeyed. And, uh, you know, you went where I, you weren't supposed to go, son. And he dealt with me that day in a good way because I learned. I learned to never disobey him in that way again. I never went astray because he, he did it for my safety. He said, you know, I'm good with you playing in the field. I, I could look over the fence, playing in the courtyard, playing with football because I could see you. But at the store, I cannot see you, son. So for your safety, I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to deal with you. And I thank him for that to this day. Because, you know, I don't let my kids go, you know, buy a lizard on their own. Right? Because, man, I love them. Right? And he loved me. And he dealt with me. With goodness. Teaching me. Right? So similarly, and this is fallen, the fallen condition of man. Similarly to this story that I just, fun story I just shared. Man apart from Christ neglects the goodness of God through his word. Pursuing what is good in his own eyes. Ending only in disappointment and destruction. But praise the Lord that Christ came. Right now this is the Christ-centered focus of, of our passage this morning in Psalm 119. Christ came, right? Aren't you thankful? But God sent his son. Aren't you thankful for those but God? So Christ came to restore man's focus, right? Don't look at the lizard, right? Don't look at the, ena the enamorments and glitter of the world. Focus on the true source of goodness. Focus on my word, right? Remember, we just sang, my highest good. My unending need is Christ himself, the word of life, right? And here in particular in uh, chapter 119 of Psalms, we're going to look at verses 65 through 72. Let's, let's read that right now. It says, starting in verse 65 of Psalm 119, 
You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart, I will observe your precepts. Their heart is covered with fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Right? So God gave you this passage this morning so that you would experience his goodness by submitting and delighting in God's word. He gave you this passage so that you would experience his goodness by submitting and delighting in God's word. So like a fine cut gem, I remember shopping for that diamond from, from Marlowe, right? At uh, the Shane Company in Burlingame. <laughs> you know, similar cloth right here, black velvet. And the guy brought out the diamond and said, here you are, sir. And he said, if you don't know anything about diamonds, there's things called facets, right? It's a cut of a side of a, of, of a fine gem. And this morning, like a fine cut gem, God gives you in this passage two facets. Beautiful cut gems. That display the goodness of his word. The first facet that displays the goodness of God's word is goodness through suffering. Wow, how could you say, right? So the first facet, goodness through suffering. How could you say there's goodness in, my, in suffering? <laughs> Who would say that? Are you a pugilist? <laughs> you know, are you a glutton for punishment? Are you nuts? <laughs> are you... Who says there's goodness in suffering? The psalmist does. He says, you have dealt well with your servant. So what he does, he confesses. He confesses. He says, there's goodness through suffering and I confess it. That you, Lord, are good. Verse 65 says, you have dealt well. The verbal phrase in Hebrew is, God, you have done good. Right? Just when I, like I agree with my dad. Right? I'm glad he went after me. You know, he pursued me. He said, I'm going to ensure my son's okay. I'm getting on that bike, and I'm going to meet him on the road and make sure he's not being taken by somebody over a, a small, insignificant lizard. And the psalmist could say that. You have dealt well. You have done good, God. Or in English, it's you have treated your servant well. You have treated me. You're kind. You're wonderful. You have been so generous, God. You went after me. Your word pursues me. It doesn't leave me alone. And how does he do this? He says, you've done this, God, according to your word. 
Or it means, as you promised, God, as you promised. You know, my dad said, son, don't go to that store. And he promised. He fulfilled his promise. He made it. He made me learn. He said, just like I said, son, you are not to go, and I'm going to teach you a lesson. God does that with us, with his children. So here, confessing the goodness of God's word through affliction, right? To explain it further, it's a confession, a recognition that your sufferings are of value. Are you suffering this morning, right? You have health failing over loved ones, brothers and sisters in the faith. You have family members that have gone astray from walking with Christ. Have you lost your job and you're wondering where the next meal is going to come from or mortgage payment? Or have you even sinned and you just ru- you, you've ruined things? You've gone that road and sought your own way. You thought what was pleasing and and good in your own sight and not according to the word of God. And you've sinned and and God is disciplining you. Then confess. Recognize that your sufferings are of value. Since they turn you even more more towards obeying God. It is agreeing that your sufferings are divine punishment or trial that God allows by the by his sovereign hand so there's no complaint right it's from God this is him being in his goodness pursuing me through the word turn to Hebrews 12 chapter 12 Hebrews chapter 12 let's look at an example Hebrews 12, starting in verse 6. It says, through verse 11, For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seem best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Wow. Look what discipline does. Look what God, look at his goodness through suffering and discipline. It yields the peaceful fruit. God's goodness through affliction brings peace. Now, one, I, I, I recently read a story about a young Christian couple that were married in 2019. Their names were Medley and Kevin. Shortly after their marriage in 2019, three weeks afterward, there was an explosion in their home that left intense, severe burns on 95% of their body. And by God's grace, on their second anniversary, they hired another... um, Photographer who also was a Christian. So this couple's, they're both Christians. The professional photographer that met them on their second anniversary just captured the moment. 
He is also a Christian. But he was, the, the photographer was suffering from burnout. You know, he was complaining. He was, man, I'm tired. I mean, is this worth it? You know, I, if, 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 you know, I do a good job, it's silent. No one mentions anything. But then if I make one mistake, I, hear, I never hear the end of it. And he was, he was experiencing burnout. But he met this couple, and he saw it, they, they had f- immediate fellowship because they're both, they found out they're Christians. And it brought true perspective to him, to the photographer. And he said, wow, look at this couple, and they have, and they're suffering. Their, their bodies are burned. But yet they have joy. They're celebrating God's goodness. They're celebrating anniversary. And they want to take pictures in, in their burned state. It brought perspective to me. and said, thank God. What timing God has. Thank you, Lord, for showing me, putting me in my place, disciplining me. And, uh, you know, when you, when you see the trials of someone else, you kiss yours. Because... It's not as severe. Someone's burned 95% of their body, and you're just experiencing burnout. You know, this man got true perspective. That couple, Christian couple's perspective was focused on God's goodness, enabling them to have joy in the midst of their, their trial, their ongoing trial. Charles Spurgeon said, In our sorrows, God is our delight. In our, afflic- in our difficulties, it is our guide. Okay. That's what Charles, Charles had said about trial. So, as you apply this to your own life, confessing the goodness of God, God uh, the goodness of God's word through your afflictions, it leads you to a closer walk with Christ. In a practical sense, how does this look? It looks like trusting God when the world's falling apart. And, 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 Confessing, recognizing, and saying, God, I confess you're the faithful one when, the, when my world's fallen apart. So that's God's goodness and suffering. But secondly, within that, not just confess the goodness of God, God's word through your affliction, but craving you. You must crave for the goodness of God's word because he knows that God's word is good, that it taught him to see his trials as divine, by the divine hand of God, and there's no complaint. Now he just says, God, you're good. And look what he says in verse 66. He says, teach me. At that point, he goes, your word is of great value. Your discipline with me through the word of God to me, is of great value. So now teach me. Teach me. He's craving it. He's asking God, teach me. Teach me good discernment and knowledge, which means a request for good judgment and more knowledge about the word of God. Just to explain it further, in this context, it's a request for, for greater knowledge of God's law and for a good sense in applying it to daily life, right? So give me greater knowledge, God. When I read the scriptures, help me to, to understand it better. But then not just that, Lord, help me. It's not meant to be just words. It's meant to be applied in my daily life. So God, give me, teach me your law, but then help me to, to apply it to my life in whatever situation you put me in. That's what it means to crave. It could be explained further as teach me to value and to know your commandments. Teach me how to decide matters well. Right? Don't you seek that when you face a, a situation at work, when you're when the world is asking you to compromise and sin, don't you want to know what to do in that situation? When you face a failing, the failing health of a loved one, don't you want to know how to react 
and honor God in that situation and know how to, what to say? Well, this is that, that craving, right? Teach me to value and to know your commandments. Teach me how to decide matters well or show me how to make good decisions. Are you facing huge decisions, right? Where do I go to school? Who do I marry? Who do I, what job do I take? You know, I'm done with school. What, 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 what now? Are, these are huge decisions. How, should we have kids? Should we not have kids? Should I take this job or should I not? Well, this is when it says teach me. Good discernment and knowledge for I believe in your commandments. It's saying, help me, God. Show me how to make good decisions. So an example of this craving, it's in 1 Peter 2, chap, uh, chapter two, uh, verse 2. It says, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tested the kindness of the Lord. Proverbs 9, 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So crave for the goodness of God's word. I remember being a student in the youth ministry. I was surprised that older college Christian guys would want to spend time with a runt like me. <laughs> I was just like a seventh grader. I was just blasted. Why would they even want to give me the time of day? It wasn't until I became a Christian and God gave me the opportunity to serve in the youth ministry as a youth staff member. And the reason why staff guys wanted to hang out with the, you know, the student youth was to share the gospel with them and disciple them after they became Christians. It was, it, you know, it taught, it taught me how, you know, they really craved to, to know God's word and to know how to react in life situations and to share that with younger believers. That's what it is to crave for the goodness of God's word. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2 says, The things... This is Paul to his, his disciple, Timothy. It says in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's a craving, right? You're asking for it. God, help me to, to know your, your, your commands and to apply it in daily life and to, and to multiply that. See that multiplied. See your kingdom come. See it expand here and beyond. That's the craving. So how do you apply it to your life? Cra craving for the goodness of God's word, it's, it's supernatural, right? Man without Christ does not have this craving. It really has to come from him. In a practical sense, this looks like sharing about the goodness, God's goodness to you in the midst of trial, right? To a coworker, to a classmate, or to a family member who asks you. You know, how many gatherings do we have with coworkers or classmates or, or family members when they ask you? And then in that situation, is, sometimes you have a, ten, you, a temptation. It's easier to speak of, uh, you know, it's easier to give cred to yourself rather than to Christ, you know, when there's difficulty, when you are experiencing a f the failing health of a loved one. Or you, they see you in a restaurant, they see your kids well-behaved, and they, go, they, co they commend you and they say, wow, I'm just really, you know, uh, you know notice your kids. This has happened to us. And, it, and we have the temptation to say, yeah, you know, kind of pat myself on the back and say, yeah, this, you know, it's easier to say thank you and just brush it off or just say, God, this, that's all God. Yeah. 
That's all God. So that's, that's the application of it, right? That's the craving of God's word that is supernatural. It, it, it wants to share his goodness in the midst of trial when it, it is hard. And you say, man, parenting's tough. So I give praise to God who, who helped me to do this. <laughs> that's the craving. It's to know how to respond in life situations and give credit credit to where credit is due to speak of him to know his his word so that's what it means if you apply it to your life today so that's the first facet the the first facet that displays the goodness of god's word is the goodness through suffering we're going to move into the second the second facet that displays the goodness of God's word is goodness that produces wisdom. So goodness through suffering and now goodness producing wisdom. Verses 68 through 72. It says in verse 68, You are good. And do good. Teach me your statutes. There's, there's a confidence here from the psalmist. He is convinced that these sufferings are God's goodness to him. He's, he's confident in that. So his, res- his response to that affliction, that first facet that we looked at, is that you must confide, just like the psalmist did, confide in the goodness of God's word. Confide, because this is what verse 68 says. I'm confident you are good and do good. It's a reference to his nature. So when the psalmist says, you are good. He's saying, God, your nature is goodness. When you know something is good, you have confidence in it. You are willing to get, pour your life into that person, into God, and say, I'm confident that you are good. So your nature is goodness. And it says even further, and do good. That refers to his activity. So, God's nature is good. And his, all his activity, he does good in all that he does to his people. Now that builds confidence for the, for, the, for the believer, doesn't it? I could trust you. I could trust that everything you're doing in my life, whether it's, whether, whether the billows roll or the, the water's still, I have confidence. I could confide in the goodness of your word, God. To explain this further, this can be represented as cause and effect. And say we could say, because you are good, everything you do, God, is good. Likewise, it could be explained like this. Always you are good. And you do me such good. (laughs) Always you are good and you do me such great good. That's what the psalmist is saying here. And we know Romans 28. Here's an example. Why don't you turn to Romans 8, 28? Or you might not even have to because half of you memorize it already. (laughs) But turn there if you need it. Romans 8, 28 says... And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Just to give you a little illustration. I used to own a 95 Honda Civic, and I loved that car. I took care of it really well, you know, I... I, I tried to maintain the good service 
you know, agenda in the manual. And uh, so I took it to service, the, to get it maintained regularly, kind of religiously, actually. You know, and uh, it was a shop that I took it to called Independent Honda. I, I got a recommendation. I got a reference from a friend. I said, hey, where do you take your Honda? He said, go to Independent Honda. So they were a family-owned business that used genuine Honda parts, right, with great service. So I never had a problem taking my car there. I never with my Civic, you know, while, while uh, it was serviced there, since they were good and they did good to their customers. And I even recommend it. People ask, hey, Andre, where do you take your Honda? These guys, they do good and they'll treat you good as a customer. Go to independent Honda. No hesitation. That's like us. Those who know Christ, he is good. He does good to you. You can confide in him. No hesitation. I recommend. If I don't say something, then you're going to lose out. Follow hard after Christ. He is good. He does good to you. To all that will believe, right? So how do you apply this? Confiding in the goodness of God's word, it it brings peace to the soul. So practically, it looks like just reminding yourself, preaching the gospel to you yourself daily in the midst of trial and saying, he's faithful. I could trust him. I could, f- I could face tomorrow and today because he lives. Just like that great hymn. Because he lives, I could face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth living because he lives. That's what it is. It's applying that, that he... R- Recalling the truth of the gospel and saying, he's got this. He's got me, right? So that's what it is to the, fa- the second facet, the goodness that produces wisdom. It, it allows you to confide in the goodness of the word, but it also calls you to conform to the goodness of the word. Verse 69, it says, The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart, I observe your precepts. Their heart is covered with fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. You must conform to the goodness of God's word. The psalmist refers to his enemies who are, they're referred to as arrogant here. Or it means godless, proud, insolent. They spread malicious lies about the psalmist. They aim to damage his reputation, give a bad name to him, to insult him. Furthermore, their heart is covered with fat, which refers to their lack of understanding, of insight into the meaning of God's word. Lacking sympathy or or kindness. But despite the schemes of his enemies, the psalmist is confident in his devotion to God because of the affliction that God taught him to see the goodness of the word. So he's devoted to him. He says, with all my heart, I observe your precepts. I'm not going down that road again of those who lie about your goodness and call me to pursue the shiny objects of this world. I don't need to go there. I'm devoted to you, God, because you have taught me. You have done well. You are good and you do you do good to your servant. 
Romans 12, 2. It says, And do not be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Why settle for an imperfect world when you have, you could be transformed by the word of God, which is good. It's acceptable. It's actually perfect. Don't settle for second. Actually, it's not even second. It, the world is fading and failing. Have you ever tried to find joy in it? It only leads to disappointment and destruction. Find the true joy. Find the true goodness in the Word of God, in resting in Him, in a relationship with Him. Before I, I became a Christian, I tried fitting into the world's mold by doing the popular things with the popular crowd. But it never brought peace, right? It's only when the gospel that was shared with me, right, my brother-in-law and my sister, Jay Palompo, um, and my sister praying for me, Angelique praying for me, you know, when I was rebellious and trying to hang with, the, do the popular things with the popular crowd. It was only then when the gospel that they shared with me and believing in what God said and applying it to my life did I truly have peace. You know, I tried to. I even was hurt, you know, on occasions just trying to fill my life with joy where it cannot be found. Left disappointed, ruined. But then I heard the gospel. I said, wow, I was missing the mark. But I thank God. I said, wow. I said to myself, this is it. I'm never going back. Never going back. Right? You do good. You, you are good and you do good, God. Just like Peter when he said, where, where else will, you, will I go? You have the words of eternal life. Right? So Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.12, it says, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Right? So conform. Conform. You must conform to the goodness of God, God's word because it proves... What is will for you is in your life, just like the verse says. It proves what his will is for you in, in your life. And in a practical sense, it looks like not getting enamored, right, with the, the, the toys of this earth. Not getting enamored with this world and what you see is pleasing in your sight here. But looking forward to your home in heaven. Looking forward to it and running the race now for his glory until he calls you there. That's what it, that's what it is. Not being, walk, walking by the Spirit. It says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. So, the goodness that produces wisdom It causes you to confide in the goodness of his word. It causes you to conform to the goodness of his word. And lastly, it causes you to cherish the goodness of God's word. Verse 72. Look at verse 72 as we end with this last verse. It says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. So as, 
what the psalmist is ex- expressing here is high regard. He's expressing high regard for God's word. Saying it is worth more to him than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Let's explain it further. He compares God's word to riches. Wow, what a comparison, right? As a, someone would find riches, that's how he compares it to. I have found the treasure, right? We sing songs that talk about God's word, Christ himself being our treasure. Christ, our treasure. There's none like you. Our Lord, our rock, and my redeemer, gracious Savior, lover of my soul. Right? He's a treasure. His word is a treasure. And the psalmist compares his word as with riches. It can be explained more by saying, the law you gave me is worth much. This word you've given me, I need to hold it. I must meditate on it day and night. For then I will be prosperous. Then I will have success. Because you've given it to me for my good, right? As my guide. So the law you gave me is worth much. All the money in this world is worth little. Or the law you gave me is very good. All the wealth in the world is good just a little bit. There's a, in, when it was balanced, right, the world's treasures with God's word, God's word, there's no comparison. It outweighs the joys, the goodness, the treasures of this world. The phrase, the law of your mouth, emphasizes the fact that the word of God is the personal expression of his will for his people. Isn't it nice when you get a handwritten note or, you know, someone leaves you a, a voicemail? Or it's, it's actually the personal expression. It's even better to have it face-to-face when someone tells you that, face-to-face. When someone comforts you with kind words or a verse and says, I'm, I'm praying for you. That, that means a lot, right? It means a lot more than coming through. A text, or if they're at a distance, they're not just emailing you or texting you. They're sending you a handwritten note in their own writing. They made effort in to show that they're personally thinking about you. Well, that's God's, when it says the law of your mouth, it em- emphasizes the fact that God's word is his personal expression to you. As if God is face to face with you and he's saying, I love you. You can trust me. I'm good and I do good to you because you're my child. So that's what it means. No pun intended here, but, I'll, but to give you a taste for what Ty will be preaching on next week, Psalm 119, 103 says, Oh, taste and see. <laughs> How sweet are your words To my taste, it says, right? Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. How sweet your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than the the honey to my mouth. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like God's word. And before, uh, I remember uh, my old pastor at CBC, Pastor Steve Fernandez, he... uh, He wasn't afraid to, uh, I love his illustrations sometimes. Sometimes he would use Star Wars, you know. I'm a big Star Wars fan. And I thought, man, if Steve Fernandez could share a Star Wars illustration, I'm going to share a Mandalorian illustration, (laughs) right? Because I love the Mandalorian. So if you watch the show, you're going to love it, okay? (laughs) In an episode of that hit show, Mando had major parts of his ship stolen from him. Right? The Razor Crest. <laughs> stolen by the Jawas. Right? These little runts that 
scavenger Tatooine for droids and wrecked starships, and they sell it, right? And the only way Mando could get his parts back was to retrieve a prized egg. Lately seen that episode, huh? To retrieve a prized egg of a beast called the Mudhorn. So Mando defeated that Mudhorn. He retrieved the egg and he delivered it to the Jawas. The Jawas then took the egg and they huddled together, right? Their group was as if the whole church were the, were the Jawas. And grabbed the egg. Mando's like watching them. What are they going to do with this thing? This is ridiculous. Why, why did I almost die to get this silly egg? So one of the tribal leaders cuts the top of the egg and they just start Mmm, you know, like alien sounds of delight, you know. Mmm. It was sweeter than honey. And it was worth it. We'll gladly give you these junk for this sweetness. That's like this, what the psalmist is saying. God, your word is sweet. I'll gladly give you this junk of this world. Sweeter than honey. That great, that great hymn. Right? I'd rather have Jesus. The words go like this. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. He's sweeter than honey from out of the comb, right? There's nothing like him. We, we write songs about him. We memorize verses because it brings us, it helps us to recall the truth about him, that he is good and he does good to all who know him. So how do you apply this to your life? How does it look to cherish the word of, word of God for its goodness in your life? It only comes you can only cherish it from knowing and having a personal relationship with the Son of God. You cannot cherish the Word of God if you don't know Jesus himself. Right? If someone would give you a, a letter from a stranger, it would be nothing to you. Why would you give me this? I don't know this person. But if it was from your wife... And it was a handwritten love letter to you, and you were far off, man, you would read that, you'd tuck it right here. You'd keep it close. And when you, you felt, you know, lonely, you'd, you'd take that out and read it again. That's like knowing Jesus. He's that sweet, right? taking that letter and saying, wow, you love me. It's, the, it's called the gospel. So you cannot cherish the goodness of God's word unless you know Jesus Christ personally. So you must know him. As we have heard in this passage this, this morning, God gave you his word. He gave you his word to you for your good. But you have sinned, right? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But you have sinned by neglecting his word, and now you deserve the penalty of death, right? For the wages of sin is death. For the penalty of sin is death for eternity in hell. Here's another but God. Are you ready? Right? But God sent his son. Sent his son, Jesus Christ. So that whosoever would believe in his life, death, and resurrection from the dead, that proves that God the Father accepted Jesus' payment for your sin on the cross, you will have eternal life, even now, even today. 
that will enable you to cherish the goodness of God's word, right? If you, can, you don't know what that means, you need Jesus. He'll take away the blinders and give you sight to see that, man, I need to cherish him, right? Psalm 34, 8, and close with this. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Take refuge in him this morning if you don't know him. He'll give you, you'll, he'll give you eternal life through his son Jesus. And you'll experience the goodness of his word every day of your life here on earth and beyond into eternity. As you, you know, recall what we just, what we just heard, the, the two facets that display the goodness of God's word. The first facet being his goodness through suffering and the second that displays his goodness through as he produces wisdom, gives you wisdom to see the folly of this world and the goodness of following hard after him and trusting in his word. So may God use this knowledge of these, these, these facets this morning that display his goodness of his word to encourage you to worship and to live for his glory. So why don't we pray? Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you that you've given us this truth that you are good and you do good. We could trust you at your word. We could take you at your word. So help, help everyone here, Lord, to... Find comfort, the true comfort that only your word can bring to experience your goodness through it. And, Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know what it means to cherish the word, Lord, help them to see that they've spurned your world, they neglected it, and that they need a Savior, they need Jesus. And that help them to, to, to see that there is, a, a, is hope for them. That's by uh, believing in his payment for their sin on the cross. And by believing, they could have eternal life today. So thank you, Lord. Uh, help us to sing now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.